This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. One massive question that I get all the time from subscribers is, what should I practice if I only have a very little bit of time to practice? Like, what's going to get me the biggest bang for my buck? Like, we don't have a lot of time to practice, to work on stuff, but we want to improve as musicians. We want to improve our jazz improvisation. What do we do? There's a billion things you could practice, a billion things you could do, and I'm always trying to answer the question, how do we simplify things? How do we boil things down to the most essentials? And that's what I'm going to talk about in today's episode. I'm going to talk about the only three things, if I had to only pick three things to practice for jazz for the rest of my life, what would they be? I'm excited to dive into these. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, videos, and a membership all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Hey, really excited about today's episode because one of the biggest questions I get is, what do I practice if I don't have very much time? And for me, I spend a lot of time on this show, if you're familiar with my work here, trying to discover what exactly that is. And there's a few little twists in today's episode. So for one, I am going to share with you what the only three things, like if someone were like, hey, uh, sorry, but you can only pick three things to practice for the rest of your life, what would they be? That's that's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm also going to talk a little bit about the theory behind making big progress towards your musical goals and cutting the fat and making things simpler. I'm also going to be talking a little bit about how... This is a little bit of a depends on who you are kind of a situation, right? Like it depends on how you learn. It depends what you found is most effective for you in the past. So I will also talk a little bit about that. And uh, there's a lot to unpack in today's episode. So we're going to dive right into that. Before we do that, of course, today's episode is sponsored by my LGS Inner Circle membership. My LGS Inner Circle membership is where you get monthly jazz standard studies in our jazz standards club, complete with etudes, complete with chords analysis, complete with a training video, lots of other good stuff. Basics 101 courses to fill in the gaps in your musical knowledge. We have premium practice program courses to give you step-by-step processes towards your jazz goals. We also have new instrument accelerator courses for guitar, for sax, for trumpet, for bass. And next month is going to be for piano as well and a growing library of those. Awesome live Q&A calls that we do every single month. Great community. You're going to love it if you haven't done it before. And if you've been listening to me say this for weeks and weeks, maybe months, for a long time, and you still haven't joined us, do it now. Go to ljsinnercircle.com. Join our thriving community of over 1,000 musicians playing all sorts of instruments, achieving their jazz goals, and motivating each other. All right? ljsinnercircle.com. All right, let's jump right in to today's topic. (laughs) 
Now, when a lot of my Inner Circle members sign up, there are some people that come to me and say, hey, Brent, a lot of great stuff in here. Uh, Where do I start? Like, what's going to be the best thing for me? I don't have very much time to practice. I'm worried I need more time to practice than I have. And I actually give them a very simple answer, uh, and that is to work on jazz standards. And in our in our inner circle membership, we have something called the Jazz Standards Club, where we work on uh, just one tune in a month, and then we move on to the next one. And uh, we just focus on that. And there's practice itineraries, and everything's laid out in a, a step by step fashion. And I always just say like, hey, if you don't have a lot of time to practice or do anything uh, and you've kind of got some basics behind you on your belt, that's what I would do. So where where I'm going to kind of start this episode out here with my teaching is to say that the vehicle in which I would practice these three things for the rest of my life is going to be jazz standards. So already we're going to simplify everything. Uh, I am never going to practice anything outside of the context of a jazz standard. Okay. And, uh, you know, I gave a, a, a talk in our virtual summit earlier in the year called Learn Jazz Live. And I talk about how I think of jazz standards like a pizza, right? Uh, you got the pizza, it, there's the crust. Uh, but on top of that pizza is the cheese and the pepperoni and what other ingredients have you. And you can think of the cheese and the, you know, ingredients, the toppings, if you will on the pizza as the things that we're going to practice that we can apply to this uh, jazz standard. And the jazz standard is the crust. Like it is the vehicle that we are going to be uh, consuming and, and applying these other aspects uh, that I would practice for the rest of my life. Okay. So think about it that way. Cause the biggest bang for your buck every single time when it comes to jazz, even if you want to be a composer in the jazz arena is to learn the jazz standard repertoire. So don't focus anywhere outside of that. Don't learn uh, pieces of information that are outside of that. Don't learn a music theory trick or um, something that cannot be applied to a jazz standard or that is being applied separately from it. It's much more beneficial if you're always learning and practicing things for jazz in the context of jazz standards. So that will kind of set the stage for us here that everything I'm going to talk about today, we are using a jazz standard as the vehicle every single time. For the rest of my life, that is what I would do if I only could pick three things. I would immediately just say, well, the only things I'm going to practice are going to be over jazz standards, one jazz standard at a time that I'm learning. Okay. Now I want to focus in on another concept here. And this is actually another concept I talked a bit about in my masterclass in our Learn Jazz Live Summit earlier in the year. And it might be one that you're familiar with as well. And it's called the Pareto Principle. Uh, It's a well-known principle. It's also known as the 80-20 rule. And essentially the Pareto Principle says that 80% of the results come from 20% of the efforts, okay? 80% of the results that you get come from 20%. Uh, this originally came about from uh, looking at uh, home ownership in Italy, I believe it was, and they were seeing that 20% of the people owned 80% of the land, okay? So that's kind of where it comes from. And it's not a hard and fast rule. You know, it's not a perfect science. It's more of like a general guideline, right? And it could be slightly different percentages. But essentially, you can look at it the other way as well and and say that 80% of the things that you're doing are only giving you 20% of the results. So what I'm always looking at is I'm looking at how do we 
make sure that we're focusing more on that 20% of things that is giving us results versus the 80% that's not. And it's so easy as musicians and students to totally get lost in that. And you could even do that on this podcast. Like I know some of you uh, have reached out to me and said, I literally have listened to every single episode since episode one. And I love that. And I think that's so cool that someone would do that. But then at the same time, I think to myself, well, that is a lot of information that I cover here. And while I do repeat the most important concepts over and over and over again on this podcast, the the fear that I have sometimes with creating content and videos on YouTube and all that stuff is that people will go from one thing to the next to the next without actually just focusing on the things that really are going to work the best for them, right? Uh, I present a lot of ideas, but I want to make sure that you get the best ideas for you and that you're working on them. So that's the 80-20 rule. We want to really focus in on that 20%. Okay, so with that being said, let me tell you for me what that 20% is. Now, first of all, we've already done the work of distilling down what are we going to work on. We're going to work on jazz standards exclusively, okay? I'm going to focus in on jazz standards as a jazz musician. Those are the vehicles that jazz musicians use to improvise, okay? So we've already narrowed our focus down to there. So what are the three things? Number one, I would practice chord tones, Okay, chord tones. I'm talking about the chord tones of the seventh quality, uh, the the five qualities of seventh chords. You got the major seventh. You've got the the dominant seventh, the minor seventh, the half diminished seventh, the fully diminished seventh. And we know to spell those chords, it's always a root, third, fifth, seventh, and those notes are altered depending on what the quality is. For example, uh, the difference between a major seventh chord and a dominant seventh chord is the seventh is flatted on a dominant seventh chord. So of course we just have to know all of that. But then again, what are we applying chord tones to? We're applying them to a jazz standard. So I'm always going to be focusing on playing chord tones over a jazz standard and really just focusing on using exclusively chord tones to improvise over jazz standard as a practice. Why do we do this? Why are chord tones so important more than scales, more than anything else? It's because when we play jazz solos and we hear our favorite jazz musicians play, what they are doing is they are outlining the chords so well and yet in such a musical way that you could hear the harmony of that tune even if there was no piano player or guitar player playing it for you, if it was just a saxophone player playing chord tones musically in the jazz lines very well, you would hear how to play a tune like All the Things You Are or Autumn Leaves or Fee Fi Fo Fum or have you. You would hear what those chord changes were simply by the lines they were playing. And why could you do that? Because they're hitting the most important notes that define each chord. If you're hitting the 251 in B flat major, C minor 7, F7, B flat major 7, and you're hitting the important chord tones between all of those chords, and especially like resolving to really important ones like the thirds of each chord or even the sevenths of each chord. Those are the, we call them the guide tones. Those are the really powerful uh, chord tones that change from quality to quality. If we're focusing on those, then we're going to hear those chord changes come out. So what I would do is I would take a jazz standard and first I would do what I call a chord tone map. This is something that we do every single month in our inner circle membership. And that's simply just playing chord tones 
uh, connecting them together from the nearest chord tone all throughout the entire tune. So not just simply starting from the root and playing up every single chord. That's helpful too to help you define what those chord tones are of each chord, but really trying to figure out how do you connect them together. It's often a really great idea to resolve to thirds on the new chord. So going up to the seventh of one chord and down to the third and going down from there and and building what I call a chord tone map. And we this is called voice leading, by the way, when you connect stuff to the nearest chord tone. And I've uh, many times on this podcast had my guitar out, demonstrated all this. I don't want to focus on actually showing you these things in this episode because I've done that so many times on this podcast. Um, look up look up uh, note mapping in your feed. You'll find an episode on that. I go all over that kind of stuff. This is more about defining what you should do. So chord tones, I would focus on that. And I would do that in a couple of different ways. First of all, like I said, I would do a chord tone map, making sure I could do that. But then I would spend some time actually practice improvising exclusively using chord tones and when we do this in our practice we limit what we can play this is actually where real creative freedom can start to begin to happen when we have too many choices too many notes to play scales uh, altered scales melodic minor all this stuff and we have all that stuff at our disposal oftentimes this can lead us to not being able to make very creative choices very intentional choices musically so when we're limiting ourselves just to chord tones, we're going to be spelling out the chord changes. We're going to be forced to be creative within just those chord tones. And then from there, we can start going a little bit further, like trying to chromatically approach uh, to the third rather than diatonically, like in a stepwise motion, right? There's all sorts of things we can start building off from there to, to try to create musical lines. Um, but chord tones is where I would start. Now, notice that this first one that I'm practicing here is more of a theoretical thing. And I do think it's important to have some technical and theoretical stuff involved in your practice to get that technique down, to have some theory under your belt. And the chord tones for me is the most important one. Okay, so that's number one thing I would practice. Number two is I would learn solos, okay? Even if it's just one chorus over solo of the jazz standard that I'm learning, okay? Th this is what I would practice. So um, let's just say I'm learning all the things you are uh, and I want to learn one chorus of Paul Desmond solo over top of that. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, by ear, by the way, not by reading, because by ear is going to help me internalize it better. By ear is going to help me uh, really get the sounds and build up my ear versus me just practicing reading. So I'm going to be learning it by ear slowly, bar by bar, as slow as I need to. So using slowdown or software if I need to, like amazing slowdown or transcribe. I'm going to be learning it by ear. And the reason I'm going to be doing this is because like any, like any language, you have to listen to it copy it and mimic it that's and, and really you've heard it many times i'm sure music is like a language and i would argue that improvisation is even more like a language because you're having to spontaneously react to things um, i'm practicing my greek right now my wife's greek her family's greek i'm trying to get better at it uh, so that i can have better conversations with them and um, i've noticed with some of the training i've done in the past with it where i've learned a lot of vocabulary it was helpful for recognizing what words were but it wasn't necessarily helpful for actually piecing together ideas or responding to what someone was saying to me so in the same way, what we want to do is we want to listen to Paul Desmond and go, well, how did Paul Desmond approach the chord changes to all the things you are, right? Because 
essentially when we have jazz standards, especially when we're starting out, it's kind of a mystery. Like, where do we start? Where do we go? How do I navigate these chord changes? How do I get from one chord to the next? And then, of course, the big mind-blowing question of how do we actually be creative, even if we do know how to play chord tones, okay? But Paul Desmond has the answers, right? And many other musicians as well. In fact, they have their own sets of answers, their own way of speaking the jazz language. So for me, it's of utmost importance to copy somebody else, copy the way somebody else speaks over a jazz standard so that I can understand some ideas from them that I can nurture for myself, okay? So by mimicking what some of these other musicians are doing, I'm taking that information and making it my own. And the goal not being that I'm going to regurgitate it and play their exact solo when it's my turn to solo at a jam session or a gig or just even by myself. That's not the goal. The goal is to expand my knowledge of the language so that I can piece together my own sentences. So that maybe there's something in that solo or that chorus of a solo that, you know, hits a light bulb, the light bulb goes off. And that's happened to me many times learning solos by ear. Um, I may not even remember the whole thing of a solo, but there was just this one part that I learned that resonated with me, that stuck with me, the essence of it stuck with me. And now that's in my ear and that's worked its way into my playing, even if it's uh, just a variation of the original idea. And that's what learning the language is all about. You just have to copy people at first in order to truly start getting it. And even some of the best musicians are still doing that. Um, I may have told this story before in this podcast, but um, my alma mater is the City College of New York in Harlem, uh, in New York City. And the time that I was going to the City College of New York, John Patitucci, the great ba- the, ba- the great bass player, rather, he was uh, teaching there, and I was taking a class with him. And one morning, it was like seven o'clock in the morning, ridiculously early. And, you know, apparently he had been there since uh, six o'clock in the morning and he had just got done transcribing a Herbie Hancock solo. He walked into his office in the, mo- in the, in the morning and he learned, uh, I think, a chorus of a Herbie Hancock solo. And he walked into our class and was talking all excitedly about the amazing stuff that he learned from Herbie Hancock. And this is John Patitucci. I mean, you know, played with Chick Corea, uh, Brian Blade, Wayne Shorter. I mean, he's one of the best uh, jazz musicians and, of course, bassists to have ever lived, certainly in, in our modern day as well. And he's still learning the language from some of his musical heroes. Like, it doesn't stop. Like, he's still trying to get more vocabularies, trying to understand more. So if it's good enough for John Patitucci, it's good enough for me as well. So learning solos by ear, even if it's just a chorus, that's what I would do. That's the second thing I would do. Uh, Super valuable. Okay, the last one that I would do uh, if I only could pick three for the rest of my life. The third one would be to compose my own solos, okay? Compose my own solos. Now, this is so important, so important, because you may have caught on to the fact that I said earlier that the goal of learning solos by ear isn't necessarily that we are going to regurgitate them note by note. That's not necessarily the go the goal. We don't necessarily want to sound like West Montgomery because I learned a West Montgomery solo. That's not the goal. We want to sound like you. We just want to understand the language better from these musicians. So one of the main things that I really preach, especially in my inner circle membership, is to compose your own solos. And 
I want to just quickly define the difference between composing and improvising. So you may have also heard this saying before that composing is simply improvisation slowed down and vice versa. Improvisation is composing sped up, right? So when we're improvising, the big struggle a lot of us have is the fact that we're just having to spontaneously create stuff and spell out chord changes. It's hard for our brains to keep up. It's hard for us to express ourselves, right? Now, what if you were able to slow that process down of improvising? What would happen then? Well, it's going to give you the opportunity to dream up the solo that you would want to play over that jazz standard you're working on. Okay, it's going to give you that opportunity to really think about it. And that's okay that you want to be able to think about it. And on top of that, we're starting to get the benefit of the learning the language from that musician that you learned their solo. And now all of a sudden you can go, oh, I like that idea. Let me compose my own idea over this part of the song, over this chord progression, and see what I can come up with there. But then how do I melodically make it interesting moving to the next section of the tune? You get time to think about that. And here's the deal, and I always say this to everybody, all of my students, all my Inner Circle members on this podcast, I always say the stuff that you create yourself is the stuff that is most likely to stick with you, okay? I'll say that one more time for emphasis here. The stuff that you create, that you compose, that comes from you, you're more likely to have that come out in your playing when you're actually improvising than stuff that you learn from somebody else. Why? Because it came from you. You imagined it. You dreamed it up, right? And your imagination only gets better as you learn more jazz language, as you get more experience, as you listen to more jazz, as you learn more jazz standards. And so... I always want to make sure that this is a part of all of our practice regimens that we teach in the inner circle and beyond because composing is that creative side that we need to tap into to try to fully learn this language. Let's go back to Greek, right? I'm practicing my Greek, trying to get better at it. And, you know, one thing that I've been doing is I'll do a lesson you know, and, and, and I'll learn a lot from that. I'll learn some new vocabulary. I'll learn how to respond to people's questions. I'll learn how to ask a question and that's all well and good. But what I've been trying to do is I'll go home uh, to my wife and I'll try to just, you know, ask a question in my own way with the knowledge that I learned from that lesson. And what that does is it helps me actually apply what I'm learning. It's not just me responding to a specific context. I'm trying to create my own context where I'm reproducing the language. And it's kind of the same with composing, right? I'm, I'm creating my own context for taking the information I've learned and internalized so that it can come out my own creative way. So composing is really, really great. And of course, memorize your solo that you're composing. Memorize that chorus that you're composing. And to qualify this as well. Uh, I don't necessarily mean writing it down or notating it. I mean, if you don't have that skill, that's totally fine. I actually more so even mean memorizing something. So, you know, figure out a line and go, I like that. Memorize it. Go to the next line and compose it that way. That's more what I even mean. Not that writing it down is bad, but the idea is that you are internalizing something that you've composed, not just writing it down and, you know, referencing it like a dictionary or an encyclopedia. It really is the idea of memorizing it. Even if you forget it, right, you're, again, further internalizing something that you've created for yourself, okay? So just to review those three things that I would practice for the rest of my life, the vehicle is the jazz standard. It's the pizza crust, right? It's the jazz standard. The, the cheese, that's the core tones, 
Okay, core tones. That's the theoretical side. I want to be able to know those core tones so well that I can start creating music with them because that's going to get me the biggest bang for my buck. That's that 20% I'm talking about, getting those core tones really good. Okay, then after that, it's solos, like learning the language of other musicians so I can further and expand my knowledge of the language. And then finally, it's composing my own solo over the same jazz standard. All this is over the same jazz standard because now I'm going to be taking all that information, taking my chord tones, and I'm going to be creating something for myself. For me, every single time, that's what I would do for the rest of my life if I couldn't practice anything else. And if someone said, well, Brent, what about altered scales? I'd be like, I don't care about altered scales. I really don't because I don't need to know an altered scale. I don't need to learn. All I I really need to do is hear a line that I like, and it may have what people would consider notes in the altered scale in the Sonny Rollins lick that I learned, Herbie Hancock lick. I don't care about that. I really don't. I mean, it could be helpful to know what that scale is, but that's the 80% to me. I want to focus on the 20%. And me learning that language, just hearing that sound, internalizing that idea is for me personally going to be far more helpful than learning how to play every single scale there is over top of every single chord. Does that make sense? So we want to always be thinking about that. So now let's go for the little disclaimer portion of this episode. And that is to say that this is my three things. But my challenge for you is to think about what your three things are. And if you're at the show notes on LearnJazzStandards.com on this episode, I'd love for you to leave them in the comments because I'd be really interested to hear what your three things are that you would practice for the rest of your life. Because here's the deal. What works for me doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work exactly the same for you. Now, I'll qualify that by saying I'm a professional jazz musician. I've been teaching for a long time. I have lots of colleagues. I know what works. I know what doesn't. That's why I teach and encourage the things I do teach. So do I believe that the stuff that I'm talking about is going to help you big time if you do it? 100% not going to apologize for that. However, that being said, you could be someone that learns uh, a certain way that I don't. For example, maybe for you learning chord scale theory has unlocked some things a lot quicker for you than it would be if you did something another way. And you say to yourself, well, if I really looked at at this objectively, part of my 20% and my 80-20 rule is learning chord scale theory. Like That is one of the things I would practice for the rest of my life because it's been so, it has such a huge impact. Like for me, the chord scale theory has been helpful, but it hasn't had that big of an impact that I wouldn't that I would trumpet over the other ones I mentioned. But maybe for you, that is the case, right? Um, you know, so there, there's so, maybe for you. I mean, practicing things in all twelve keys is something that is super important. I mean, that's a great practice. I encourage people to do that. Um, but maybe for you, that is the most important thing. Like that is one of your three things that you would do for the rest of your life. But the, the really fun part of this challenge is that I really want you to spend some time to think about it. Like think about the things that you have worked on in the past where you felt like, man, I just, I was just practicing stuff and it didn't really get me anywhere. Or I just consumed a billion YouTube videos on a billion random topics and I don't feel like I moved the needle anywhere. 
Well, chances are that's the 80% of things that you should stop working on, right? Uh, but there, you may recall like, well, I remember this one time I learned this thing and that just like completely connected the dots in my brain for me. And I bet you if I just really focused more on that, I would improve quicker. That's your 20% folks. Okay. So that's my challenge for you this week. Think about the 80-20 rule. Think about your Pareto principle. Think about the only three things that you would practice for the rest of your life if you could only pick three. And chances are, even if you you know practice four or five things, those three will help center the gravity, help be an anchor for you so that you don't go too far off to, in other directions and lose your focus on what's really going to move the needle for you in your jazz playing. All right, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I do appreciate you. Hope you found this helpful today. Hope you take up my challenge. Like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, ljsinnercircle.com, that's where you can sign up for Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle membership. I mean, this place is really unique. I don't think there's any other uh, music or jazz membership quite like it. Like there are others out there, of course, but I don't think there's anything quite like the Inner Circle. And uh, I, one of the most powerful parts of the Inner Circle is the incredibly vibrant community. And, and don't get me wrong, there's plenty of, of our members who don't really engage in the community, but there's also a lot that do. And also, I know a lot of folks that even don't engage in the community so much really enjoy the community despite that all, because there's so much powerful stuff happening there. There's people sharing their progress. There's people posting their assignments. There's people um, helping each other. Uh, Me and members of my team are in there helping members. And it's just one of those really special environments that once you're in it, you're like, wow. And the other cool thing about the this episode today is while all of our courses that we have and all of our practice programs and everything that we do inside of the inner circle are already very uh, 80-20 focused on the things that we think you should work on and step-by-step practice programs, things that help you get actual results, you can actually get in there and figure out what works best for you. Like what are the main things that you should be focusing on doing? So that could be really helpful for you as well. And I know that the inner circle could help you take your jazz playing uh, to the next level, no matter where you're at or what instrument you play. It's a really fun community. So ljsinnercircle.com to sign up for membership. All right, we're going to be coming up with another great episode next week on the podcast. Until then, happy practicing and cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.